Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift in Christ Jesus you have given us, and we have, and, and thank you for giving us the gift of your word, which is sure and true. By the power of the Holy Spirit this morning, I pray that we are all filled with the assurance of who you are and the gift we have been given in Christ Jesus. Amen. It's gone fast, but today is the last Sunday of Advent. Our themes so far have been hope, preparation, rejoice, and now today is about assurance. Now, assurance is a real tough topic in today's world, isn't it? With all the agendas in politics, in media, in technology and education everywhere you look, it seems that there are agendas. And it's really hard to sort out what's the truth, what's the fact of the matter, from the left, from the right, and sometimes even from the center. And it's really easy to kind of just want to throw up your hands and give up hope because you have no more assurance left. And here's the lesson in that. See, you have to understand that hope and assurance go hand in hand. Without assurance, there is no hope. And where does assurance come from? True assurance comes from the reality, the facts of the matter, what actually happened. You see, look. If you were going to go in for surgery to have a cancerous growth removed, and you ask the doctor, well, so what do you think? And he says, I'm pretty certain that we have a chance of getting it all out today. And you ask, oh, well, that's great. How are you certain? And the doctor says, uh, and you say, well, did you look at the, you know, the blood work, the CT scans, all that stuff? And the doctor says, nah, I don't look at that. You know, today was a sunny day. I just feel pretty good. Let's get you prepped. And you'd be like, hold on, time out, right? You would want a different doctor because you don't have assurance of what that doctor is going to do. Today we're going to spend time with a particular doctor. His name is Dr. Luke. Luke was not an original apostle, original disciple of Jesus. He was a companion of Paul, though. And he went around with Paul on all of that work. In fact, he wrote both the gospel according to Luke and Acts, which is over one-fourth of the New Testament. So, by the way, if you want to, in your reading this, this year, if you read Luke and then Acts, You've already done a quarter of the New Testament. Sweet, like, yeah, okay. But he was a doctor, a physician, and he was an historian with an eye for detail. And let me read to you how the Gospel of Luke begins. You've just got some of the verses on on there. I'm going to read chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, 
just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Look, Luke writes the very purpose of the gospel of Luke and also for Acts. It is this, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. He says, look, I was with Paul. I was an eyewitness to many of those things, and I interviewed very carefully all of those who were direct eyewitnesses with Jesus. And I thought it good to give you an orderly account. Now, he writes in a pretty plain style here. There's no embellishment. There's no, you know, uh, big hook, clickbait, as they might say. It's kindly, but kind of flat, as a historian might write. And today's, today's message is going to be a little bit different than other messages. Some, some messages really stir the soul, right? Lift us up in emotion. Today, it's about assurance so that you can stand firm in your faith so that you too can be certain so that you too may have an eternal hope in your faith. That's what this morning is about. So, let us learn from Dr. Luke, and have the assurance of when. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. So he begins by mentioning a historical figure, Caesar Augustus, and you all know him because the month of August is named after him. Now, he was considered a great statesman, one of the greatest statesmen of Rome. And under the Caesars, the emperors, before him, they were all considered to be gods. And so you had to worship them. But with Caesar Augustus, he didn't want to be considered a god. And therefore, and this is important, He respected other customs, other religious convictions, and even their laws to the extent in which they did not interfere with Rome. He even did some things to help Rome flourish, and he did something that would be uh, unthinkable, unthinkable in today's world. He actually made a law and passed a law making adultery illegal. Yeah. He stimulated the arts. He encouraged cleaner literature. Now look, he was still a pagan though. His rise to power was bloody and ruthless. But when he was in power, he was known for this. And it says it on the screen, Pax Romana, or the peace of Rome. During his reign, there was peace. Now, little did he know that the Prince of Peace would be born during this time. But let me tell you a little bit more about him, because he was a methodical man, and he was a good administrator. 
And Rome was a large empire. So there was a large government. And every government needs what? Money. Yes. So they had to do taxes. And every 14 years, they would do a census to figure out what the taxes would be. So this is part of the story. What it means to go be registered is part of the, the uh, census for taxes. And in those days, by the way, would probably refer to King Herod or Herod the Great. So why am I saying this? Is there any doubt that Caesar Augustus lived? No. And we can take a look at certain political, economic things that occurred in history. And we can cross-reference them with Herod the Great. And there's some other more, a little bit more obscure ones. I don't want to try to muddy the waters right now. But we can all take a look at that, those facts. And we can see this, that Christianity is based on historical events that happen in time, in specific locations, with real people. It actually happened. You have to know, there are people nowadays who try to destroy the Christian faith. You might have noticed that, by the way. And this is truly just an aside, but remember last year in Scottsdale, there was a Satan convention. And last month, there was a Satanic temple that was doing unbaptisms. So Satan isn't even hiding anymore. So we need to stand firm. I'm going to give you just one example. You may never run across it, but I'm going to give you one example of how people try to knock you off your faith. Okay, so an Egyptian god named Horus. People have said, and it's out on the internet and there's YouTube videos, Horus was born on December 25th of a virgin and had 12 apostles and so on, right? They put all of this out there. And they said, oh, well, the disciples were just taking the Horus myth and then putting that onto Jesus so Jesus would be a god. You want to know the fact of the matter? There are no facts of the matter when it comes to Horus. It's made up. Historians laugh at this. But people who don't know their faith, who don't stand on the firm reality what actually happened are swayed by things like this. And unfortunately, Satan comes and snatches them away with things just like this. So we have to be aware of all of these things that are going on. Now, even if it's not Horace, I'm sure you've probably seen on social media this. Was Jesus born on December 25th? Well, here's, you don't have to answer, but it's yes, no, or we don't know. So, the ant, and by the way, this is just a prep, because later on there actually is a quiz in here. It's a different sermon. And, and, and I even have candy canes for winners. Okay, so, was Jesus born on December 25th? We don't know. We just don't know. You know, uh, we celebrate the 25th. There's some reason why we could say it's the 25th, but the answer is we don't know. And so people will say, well, that's just a myth. 
and it's a pagan holiday you're celebrating. Well, here's what you can do. You can say, well, you remember Caesar Augustus? Yeah, and the, and the census he had to do? And Pax Romana? Oh, and Gubber Quinerius and Herod the Great? So if you say something like that, they'll kind of go, oh, um, okay. It'll stop them because they haven't thought it through. All right, so you got the assurance of when? Jesus was born in a certain political, economic time frame. Now, we also have the assurance of where and his family or family lineage. Let's go with the text here. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Believe it or not, in this simple couple sentences here, there's so much in there, so much prophecy that comes to fruition. Okay, so we're going to talk first about Bethlehem. And for those who are in the in-person or even online Bible study, here's where you get to shine. You get to say, uh, say the meaning, if you can remember. Bethlehem is two words, Beth and Lehem. Beth means what? By house, I heard it. Somebody in there. Okay, Beth means house. You've heard of churches that are Bethel Church? Beth is house, El is Hebrew for God, house of God. So we know that Bethlehem means house of something. Do you know what it means? House of what? House of bread. Yeah, Bethlehem is called the house of bread. Now, we can't, we can't lean on this too hard. I think there's a wonderful connection because Jesus is known as who? He's known as the bread of life. Isn't that a sweet connection within all of that? From just this town, Bethlehem, just the name. Now, Bethlehem was about five miles south of Jerusalem, and this city is called, sometimes called Bethlehem, Bethlehem Ephrath, or in our reading from Micah, we're going to get to that in a moment. And that distinguishes it from another town, Bethlehem of Zebulun. Just like I found out there's two Miamis in the U.S., right? Florida and then Arizona. Who knew? So Bethlehem Ephrath. Now, you have to listen up because this prophecy that Micah gave came 700 years before the time of Jesus. That would be like us going back to the 1300s to say what was said in 1300s came true today. Okay? Time frame. And this is what it says. I'm going to read the whole reading. But you, O Bethlehem of Ephrath, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of the brothers shall return to the people of Israel. 
And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of his name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Now, by the time Jesus was born, Bethlehem was just this small little town. I mean, village. There really wasn't anything to it. And it's not a place you'd think, well, the the Messiah should be born from there. There was nothing grand about it. I know we sing, oh, little town of Bethlehem, and it's so sweet. And I like the song. But really, from Micah, oh, little town of Bethlehem, you're nothing. That's kind of the verse to be sung there. You're small, out of the way. How could a Savior come from there except by the hand of God? Now, another thing about Bethlehem is that it was the city of David. You know, even the angels proclaimed this. Luke chapter 2, verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. You know, for a long time, David would return to Bethlehem's, Bethlehem with his family for a yearly sacrificial feast, a sacred gathering of the family. And Joseph had to go there because that's where the family papers would have been kept for the census. But there's more than that. Because just as the angels talked to the shepherd, David himself was a shepherd. He took care of the sheep there. And he would ultimately become the shepherd king of Israel. But from Bethlehem would come Jesus, the king, the shepherd of the world. Jeremiah 23, 5 says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Now, regarding Jesus and his lineage from David, we've covered this several weeks ago. If you want to cross-reference, just go back to 2 Samuel chapter 7. Do you see all these lines being drawn here? I'm going to give you one more. I can't press on this hard. But Bethlehem was pretty close to Jerusalem. And so for Passover, it's very possible that the Passover lamb or lambs came from Bethlehem. And Jesus, as we know, is the Lamb of God. He became the sacrificial lamb for us. Now look, a lot of people will say, look, all all that was added on afterwards. People just wrote this in. Listen, listen, Did you have control of who your parents were or are? Some of you are like, well, I wish I did, but, you know. But no, you don't, right? Did you have control of where you were born, when you were born? I mean, you don't have control over that. You don't have control over the prophecies that were fulfilled by you. All of that comes together. And people try to hammer away at these facts And the hammer breaks on the anvil of God, on the anvil of his word. So we stand firm that our faith is bound in history, in people, in places, in specific times. The assurance of prophecy, the assurance 
of the lineage that he is the king, the king of kings. So now we're going to come to his birth. Okay. Is real birth ever a hallmark movie? No, right? Real birth is never a hallmark movie. There's no special lighting. There's no, you know, somebody comes in, the makeup artist dabs, make sure your eyeliner, everything, just, you know, none of that, right? And yet we have laid upon the actual birth of Jesus a lot of nostalgia and sentimentality. And we've created a lot of stories that go along with it. Okay, so now here is your quiz. It's in your sermon notes. If you got your sermon notes, you can uh, figure out which is which. So I'm going to give you six questions, and you're going to have to determine, are they fact? Is it a story? Maybe it's a combination of fact and story, or simply, we don't know. Get all six right, get a candy cane. All right. How many sermons give out prizes? I don't know. I, I think it's the first time I've done it here, and so um, might be the last. We'll see. All right. You ready? Here we go. Mary rode 90 miles on a donkey to Bethlehem. Fact, story, combination, we don't know. Actually, in this, it would be a combination. Combination. Uh, if you say we don't know, okay, give yourself credit. I'm an easy grader here. So, Bethlehem was, uh, I'm sorry, Nazareth was about, and was about 90 miles from Bethlehem. And so they would have taken at least four, maybe up to seven days traveling there. And they probably would have had a donkey. But is, does it actually say that Mary rode the donkey? It doesn't. So it's a combination. 90 miles, yeah, did she ride? Probably. But we don't know if she rode the entire time. Because that's what you've got in your, in your mind, don't you? Right? A very pregnant woman riding the donkey all that way. Okay, here's this one. It was late at night when they tried to get a room in the inn, and the innkeeper was rude. Story. There's no mention of the innkeeper. There have been so many sermons given about a rude innkeeper and how we all would be like the rude... There was no innkeeper there. Okay? Here's what it actually says. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to the firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. That's it. Okay, another one. Mary gave birth the evening they arrived. We don't know, right? The answer is, you could, and by the way, if you want, you could do story or we don't know. Credit for both. We just don't know. How about this one? Actually, yeah. Uh, Jesus was born in a stable outside the town by the fields near the shepherds. You're all like, I'm not going to say anything now. <laughs> we don't know. So the best we uh, have on this, the best conjecture, 
is that uh, after traveling several days, they might have arrived at a place, a caravansary, which is just a crude overnight lodging for caravans. And on top, the second level would be where they could stay and sleep. And on the bottom would be a place where the animals would be, the servants would be, and all of that. So if there was no place on top, they could have stayed down below with the animals. So uh, it's, it was in such a stable, if you will, that we believe that Joseph and Mary found lodging when there was no room in the inn. The star that was shining in the east was called the Star of David. This one is a story. It's called, it's referenced as a star. The best reference we can get to a connection to the star of David is from Revelation chapter 22, verse 16. It says, I, Jesus, sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Okay, and last one. The names of the three kings who traveled on camel to visit Jesus the night of his birth were Gaspar, Melchior, and Balthazar. Anybody ever hear those names before? No? Okay. Well, that's a story. First of all, they were magi or wise men. They were not kings. And why do we think there's three? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The song tells us. <laughs> the song tells us, right? Well, so we, we have this song, right? And where is the little drummer boy? Some, somewhere there was a little drummer boy too. But, right, we, we built that all up, that they were there that night. The fact of the matter is they probably came anywhere from one to two years after he was born. Because if you go back to Matthew, it talks about Herod, wanting to kill all the firstborn males two years or younger. Now, you might think I'm ruining Christmas for you, right? All the warm, fuzzy things that we've held on to. The fact of the matter, it was an ordinary birth. And there was probably pain and crying. There was messiness of birth. They were probably scared that she gave birth during this time. And they had to clean the baby Jesus, wrap him up, protect him from the cold air. That's reality. That's what happened. And when we strip away all of that other stuff, we have full assurance. See, here's what I'd like you to do between now and Christmas Eve. I want you to ponder all the details God has given you in his word. Let them soak into your heart and your mind so that you have full assurance of your faith and thus a true and everlasting hope. Because here it is. Jesus was born. He was born in Bethlehem, the city of David. He is Jesus. The Lord saves. 
And he came to save you from your sins. And because he was born, and we know that's for certain, because he lived and was crucified, and we know that for certain, because he died and rose again, and we know that for certain, we have an eternal hope, because this you must hold true, that in him you, your sins are forgiven. That's a fact. Let nothing ever shake you from that fact. And to him we give glory, honor, and praise. Amen.